The following is a Kingfisher Media production. Hey, you are listening to the What I Like About You podcast. On this show, we try to find the common ground with people that we don't know that we've got anything in common with. My name is AC Fisher. With me is my co-host, Alexis Erlin. And joining us today is a man that is doing great things, I think. His name is Andy Grant. He's the host of the Real Men Feel podcast. I don't want to ruin the uh, the rundown of what your message is, Andy. Maybe I'll just turn things over to you and let you introduce yourself and the show. Yeah, so uh, you're correct. My name is Andy Grant. <laughs> and I host a <laughs> podcast called Real Men Feel. I'm also a, a, a coach, a healer, an author, and a speaker. But Real Men Feel, I've been doing it for almost five years now. And it was, I was really called to create a space that reminds men that they're human beings and that we are, as human beings, we are allowed to and actually need to express and feel all of our emotions. You know, when I was growing up, there were some emotions that were for men and some are for women, or some guys think they're not supposed to have any emotions at all. And it's really to just clear the deck of all that. And again, just encourage men to feel. Okay. Hey, so. I, I don't know how old you are looking at you. I'm assuming you're young and in the prime of your life. But from the sounds of things, I mean, the, the background that you're coming out of, it sounds like the same kind of emotionally stifled gr- uh, background that I was raised in, you know, where girls are the ones who feel. They're the ones who express. And with the, the, the boys, what my dad taught me was like, look, everybody has feelings. It's okay to have them. Just don't let anybody know that they exist. Nobody should see you cry. You don't need to talk about anything. If you feel yourself getting upset, channel that into anger because that's more masculine. If you're coming from a place like that, what was the tipping point where you realized like, hey, this doesn't work. I need to do something to change this. Yeah. So I came from a much, hmm, a much more challenged place. I actually, growing up, I was really depressed from a young age. I'm a survivor of multiple suicide attempts. Uh, looking back, I, you know, as an adult, I learned that I was really empathic. I would be overwhelmed with other people's emotions. I can remember being on a school bus and just start crying and have no idea what was going on. And I was like feeling the fear and tension and sadness of other people. So I, I thought I was crazy. I thought I was broken. I thought emotions were destroying me and I tried to end my life repeatedly. Um, it, it wasn't until much later that I realized you know, I'm human and, and the emotions can tell me information and they actually emotions are our guidance system. And yeah. when I was thinking about ending my life, I would feel worse and worse. And it finally all dawned on me like, oh, maybe it's those thoughts that make me feel worse. And if I think about something else, I will feel better. And right. it was true. So you kind of like started muting your own emotions effectively. Yeah. For again, young age, I like even as young as 12, I would I would just get drunk. To, to either numb my feelings or I would have to drink so that I could, I could cry and get deeper feelings out of myself. But my, my dad uh, dealt with, um, he was diagnosed as, as bipolar. And he would tell me that one of my first experiences as a human being was be in a waiting room while he got electric shock treatment. So part of me also saw, Oh, my dad's emotional and he gets taken somewhere and tortured. So I better not let anyone know that I'm emotional. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you were just afraid of any kind of intervention that would help those things that you were aware of. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, okay. yeah. <laughs> and it, 
so my parents got divorced when I was like five. My dad dealt with alcoholism and mental illness. And at the same time, my parents divorced. A next door neighbor started molesting me. And Jesus. I really decided, again, five and six years old, that the world isn't safe. I can't trust adults. I can't trust men. I better just uh, shut up and be quiet. I, I thought if I spoke up, made a scene, that I'd be the next man kicked out of my home by my mom. Right. Uh, I, I'm already what? finding your, your, your story so fascinating because what we do here is what, like we're trying to find common ground with people that we think we don't really have much in common with. And I feel like even in the few minutes we've been chatting, I'm wandering in and out of feeling like I can identify with you. There's things where like, okay, this looks like common ground. And then you explain and it turns out like, no, there's no common ground here, really. And then other things where it's like, I think we don't see eye to eye. And then we clearly do. And it's like, I don't mean to dismiss any of the huge details you've already shared, but the function of the conversation already is like surprising the hell out of me. It was I, I, I think I just talked down Alexis who had a question for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, not really, but I mean, I, I more or less grew up, you know, with the same sort of attitude towards men and women that, yeah, there's female feelings and emotions and, and yeah, men don't act like that or, or you have no reason to cry or, you know, things like that, shutting down your emotions and, uh, you know, not, feeling free to express those things. Well, yeah. And like what AC was asking before, you know, what really was the tipping point where, you know, what motivated you to start this podcast where, you know, real men talk about their real feelings? Yeah. So I had, I've been a coach since 2010 and 90% of my clientele have been women. And as a guy in personal growth, in spiritual development, I'd be at events where I was the only man or one of a very few amount of men in any sort of class or a program. Right. And I just kept getting this nudge that I had to make something for men. And there's, you know, there's soap for men and deodorant for men. And I had to make, here's a, here's a show for men and show that feelings can be for men. And, mm-hmm. you know, the title comes from growing up. I didn't think I was a man. I, I questioned it all the time. And, well, I feel and I'm insens- I'm sensitive and music can bring me to tears and art can move me to tears. And well, then that must mean there's something wrong with me. And mm. it's not the case at, at all. There's so much to your story here. There's so much to <laughs> your background, to the way you cope, you function, you're helping other people. I'm just trying to get my head around like, well, you as a, as, as a general concept, you fascinate me. Cause I mean, like, here's this guy, you've, you've got sex abuse in your past. You've got a family history of, from what it sounds like to be fairly extreme mental wellness challenges. You've got your own journey of addiction and presumably recovery. You've got like the most frustrating landscape of personal emotions. I mean, you're not just dealing with your own heavy load, but as an empath, you're kind of carrying like the, the, the crowd's emotions too. Somehow you end up being like in a position where you're, you're coaching women who I, I can't, I, I, from the sounds of things, this isn't the choice. Like, I don't think you woke up one day and said, I want to be a, uh, a, a wellness or a life coach for the opposite sex. But I mean, that's the position you end up in. <laughs> I, I don't even know where to start with all this, Addy. It's like, it's like- you, you've got like everything going on. <laughs> yeah. So e- everything I do with clients is something that 
I learned literally to save my life. Right. So it was when I discovered energy work and all these powerful tools and the coaching. I did a year long coaching program in 2010 and I didn't realize it was a coaching program until about halfway through it. I, you know, I just saw personal development. I saw how to rid other people, how to get my free myself of other people's energies. So many of my suicidal thoughts weren't even like mine. You know, it, yeah. it was this ancestral baggage as well. So beyond being an empath with people in, in current day and in my surroundings, I have two generations of death by suicide in my direct lineage. And for a long time, I thought, you know, much like Lieutenant Dan and Forrest Gump, that it was yep. just my destiny. And I was every, anytime I had a suicidal thought meant I'm supposed to act on it. And it was, you know, my lineage and I, we're just destined. I, it was just, it's part of, it's my birthright or, you know, um, damnation to, to die by my own hand. Yeah. So, so you're not even looking at this as like a scary thing that like, you know, like I've got a history of suicidal depression with myself and, you know, speaking with my mom, it turns out like she struggled with a lot of the same stuff, but my family's view of suicide is a little bit different than what you're describing because it's like in the moment when I, when I would get to the point where I wanted to take my own life, it seemed like a practical decision. But once I moved outside of that headspace, it's like, man, I came really close to doing something horrible and I wouldn't, I, there was no way for me to romanticize that. It's like, man, that's all kinds of messed up for a person to want to take their life. But if I'm understanding you correctly, you were kind of looking at these suicidal tendencies very differently than I was. Thank you for listening to What I Like About You. Please remember to like, follow, and share. Uh, again, I don't rec recommend my path at all. It was only after multiple quote unquote failed attempts that I began to see that maybe this isn't the thing I should do. Like right. maybe I'm alive because I'm supposed to be. Maybe there's some point to this. So you're like and questioning your destiny. Yeah. And, and, but it, it I, yeah, I think it was at least my, after my fifth attempt. I just remember why am I keep doing this? I, I just repeated a means to end my life that hadn't worked previously. And I'm just like, I'm just in this pathetic pattern. Like I can't, you know, and now I can laugh about it, but it was, it was horrible. I would just, you know, um, curled up in the fetal position and just bawling and, and begging God, begging life, begging source, begging anything to like, wh why am I still here? What if there's going to be a better way to live my life? And it was that glimmer of possibility that I, I hadn't allowed myself for a long time. Right. I'm, I'm not, I'm not dying well. I'm not living well. So there's got to be something down the middle that I can do. And that's what began my, my journey of, of, of growth and introspection and, and being of service to others. Cause that's why, you know, no one told me like helping people feels good. Oh, yeah. you know, I never heard that in my life growing up. <laughs> it's an, it's an interesting like place of emotional rock bottom when I don't know if I'm putting words in your mouth, but speaking from my own personal experience, I remember one. I hate the word failed suicide attempt. I mean, really, I mean, like you didn't kill yourself. That's not a failure. That's a success. But I remember at, at this, at this one point, I had gone into a fairly dark place and I tried to end my life and I couldn't get the job done. And that really put me into a different level of depression that I'd never seen before because my head was telling me, you are a real loser. You can't even kill yourself properly. Was, yeah. was that a component for you? 
Oh, sure. And and that's why I intentionally still call it a failed attempt, because in the moment you feel like even more of a failure. That's okay. that's the true mm-hmm. feeling for me mm-hmm. and most people that I talk to. OK, I get that. Yeah. The the only good suicide attempt is a failed one. Right? <laughs> <laughs> they should all be failures, um, but they're not. And that's why, I, you know, I speak out about it. And, you know, a, another big driving force behind the podcast and me sharing my own story um, as openly as I do is that silence kills men. Yeah. And suicidal thoughts are so horribly common, but they're just thoughts. And if you can share that, if you can get them out of your own head, stop ruminating on it, realize other people feel that way. You know, when it really crosses the line of danger is when you make plans and you start taking actions. And that's really why if you talk about it, you're less likely to get to that place of action. Right. So when you started talking about your feelings, was that always easy for you? Like for somebody who's listening, you know, some guy who's just like, yeah, you know, getting in touch with my feelings isn't really my thing. I wasn't really raised on that. I'm not really accustomed to that. You know, what would be something that you would say to them? If you want change, you have to change what you've been doing. If if not expressing your feelings, if denying them, if if you feel good, great. But I did not. <laughs> I felt right. miserable. I wanted my left hands. That's, that's the big sign. And yeah. it, when I really... When I realized that emotions serve me, so I was diagnosed and every time I ended up in a hospital, I got a different diagnosis and I was taught that I was at the mercy of my chemicals, that I was defective. There's something wrong in my brain. I'm just this chemical stew. Um, but as I grew up and experimented with myself and got, got beyond the, those, those labels, I saw that I could choose what I focused on that affected my thoughts and that affected my feelings. Mm-hmm. So I realized I was much more in control than I was ever taught. So as I experimented with that, um, just a whole better way to live opened up. Mm-hmm. That's huge. Yeah. So Alexis, I'm kind of curious, like you're listening to two guys talking about an emotional landscape and a way of expressing mm-hmm. is, is there anything that's standing out to you? Like from a female perspective that you find surprising that maybe Andy as a, as a, as a male would have to consciously employ in his life. Hmm. I honestly don't know. I've just, I'm very fascinated with how much he overcame and was able to be in a position where he could, you know, was capable of helping women who are, were always so focused on our feelings and our emotions and, you know, how those feelings, what those feelings mean And, you know, most men, they don't think about their feelings as often, you know, or I should say, at least from my perspective, I don't think that they do. And, you know, the majority of men, maybe they do, maybe they don't. But I can't see that. That's not what I've seen. And so it just fascinates me that somebody like you, after everything you've been through, was in a position to be able to be equipped to help women you know, and all of us, you know, growing up watching our fathers, you know, hold it in until they get angry and, you know, have outbursts or whatever, or, you know, our older sensitive brothers who, you know, these men, you know, places of work and things like that, he didn't seem to really fit into. And so I guess my perspective would just be, I've seen the struggle of men with expressing their emotions or not expressing their emotions because it's hard for women too, because every time we cry, every time we get upset about something, you know, we're flying off the handle or we're overreacting. And so we, I always felt like I had to be more like men and shut myself down and just look, appear to be strong, 
but that external strength, it's just a facade. So it kind of hurt me watching the men in my life struggle with those things. And so I guess I'm just, it's really refreshing to have somebody like you come on the show and talk about this. You know, what you're saying about the facade is, 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 is dead on. Men are trained to have masks and facades and put on a show. More men are driven by fear than they can ever admit to themselves. Yep. It's the fear of being picked last in gym class. It's the fear of being ridiculed and made fun of and bullied. So the easiest way to never be noticed or picked on is to deny that you have any emotions, is to keep up this mask of, of American masculinity, of, of stoicism, of I can figure it all out of my own. I don't need anybody's help. You know, it goes the, like the longest running joke about men is we won't ask for directions and we won't ask for directions, <laughs> not just to get somewhere, but how to live our life, how to feel yeah. better. It, it, we won't ask for directions in regards to anything. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But so, that doesn't mean we don't have the emotions. We do. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so what is the I, struggle like for a man who has on the outside looks like he's got it all together and he's just too prideful to ask for directions? You know, he can figure this out himself. If I could ask a man, what is that inner struggle like when when y'all are in that position where you know you need help and you've got someone sitting next to you like, yeah, maybe you should uh, ask for directions or something or maybe you should ask for help. And they're saying no. You know, what is the inner struggle like? <laughs> so one a way that a couple clients have spoken about this to me recently is that they realize they are in different roles. They have a different role with their friends, with their with their wives, with their children, with their job. And they don't like any of them, right? They realize they're all fake and they don't like anybody. They don't, they don't feel comfortable in their own skin because they right. perhaps have never experienced it. Yeah. And usually, you know, you, you, you have to hit some sort of rock bottom. You have to be miserable for so long that you're sick of being miserable and think maybe there's something I can do. And, and it comes from joining a men's group, working with a coach, uh, calling a suicide prevention hotline, or like whatever it is, but something makes you break that wall that you've built around you, break down that ice dam blocking your heart and to realize you feel, you have emotions and they're all going to express some way or the other uh, via rage or irritability, depression. But when a man is willing to feel whatever emotion shows up in the moment that it shows up, that's when we're at our healthiest. That's when our reaction is truly to what's happening now, not something 20 years ago that we buried. Mm -hmm. I like what you're saying. I, I appreciate all this. I mean, I'm kind of one of those oddball guys where it's like, I, I was always told like the feelings got to stay in. You got to hold your shit together. Basically turn it off, be an Android, be strong. I just could never do that. Even as a, as at a young age, the harder I tried to keep these things in, the more likely it was I was going to cry and my nose was going to start blowing snot bubbles and. You know, everybody was going to be like, stop being a crybaby. Like, you know, get yourself together. And the feelings of personal failure that come along with not, not even being able to employ an unhealthy emotional approach. Looking back, I realized that the way I was acting and processing, it was probably the most healthy thing in the world was just for the emotions to flow with like no breaking system at all. But instead of, this uh this free expression that was happening whether i liked it or not i hated myself for it because i wasn't functionally unhealthy like all the other guys in my life mm, and i i started <laughs> gravitating towards you know like i had more female friends i didn't relate to the guys 
But I mean, there's a there's a danger in the formative years in spending too much time with the opposite gender. You don't really understand a lot about the social cues, healthy or otherwise, that you need to be aware of when you're navigating what should be your peer group. It's a lot of things I grew up just not totally understanding. I mean, there's ways in which that's been positive, but there's other ways in which it's it's been kind of negative. It's like when I need the support of guys, because I mean, like on some levels, I think only guys are going to understand guys. I didn't have that support system. So now these unchecked emotions, I, I think a lot of times that's when they really, they, they, they overwhelm me. And even more, I was back in childhood wishing I could just stop crying, you know? Mm. You are listening to What I Like About You. Please remember to like, follow, and share. Have you had any experience with somebody who's like my kind of messed up? <laughs> yeah, me. <laughs> you know, yeah, I, I relate to everything that you're saying, but I believe that every man is going to reach the point of discovery. And luckily, you and I had it younger. Realize, wait, I, I can't be these other people. Why not? And, you know, we didn't know how to deal with it. But at, at some point, everybody realizes that they're living a facade. They're not yeah. being authentic that, you know, the, the real man of real men feel it's not that, oh, you're I'm a man. You're not. It's not denial. It's that what it means to be a genuine, wholehearted, intrapersonal, healthy man is to feel right. E emotions are part of the human experience. They're not a mistake. And, and you're not a mistake. I, I, I get I thought I was hopeless and helpless. I thought I was flawed. Um, doctors that gave me um, labels. They just labeled me and said, here's some medication. Maybe it'll help. There was no like, hey, you'll get better. Uh, I came out and started talking about my suicide attempts because when I was a teenager, I never heard of anybody that wanted to die. And years later, we're glad that they didn't die. I, <laughs> that's a thing. I had never heard of it. Yeah. Like, you want to die? You do something. And the only time anyone openly talked about feeling suicidal when I was a kid was in mental hospitals, which made it seem even crazier. Right. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you didn't grow up with a whole lot of knowledge about, you know, I mean, we didn't really either, you know, mental health and, and counseling and things like that. What uh, kind of got you into that whole, you know, area of like, you know, mental health and, and things like that? Yeah. So can, can I, can I, I put you in pause, Andy, I'm, I'm kind of, I want to uh, piggyback on her question and wondering like what specifically was the path that got you there as well? Yeah. So I was offered help way more often and for a longer period of time before I took it. I mm. wasn't, again, I thought I was helpless and hopeless. And that is a horrible place to be. That is, it's a deadly place to be. Um, I knew my parents loved me. I did well in school and doing well in school. Let me skate. Well, he can't really be depressed. How can, how can Andy want to kill himself? He got an A on the test last week, right? It was yeah. people wanted to believe I was fine. So I, I, you know, I first saw a child psychiatrist, you know, when I was like 14 years old and I gave him a story. I told him something so they would tell my parents that he's fine and I could go about my business. But I, my, one of the things my dad always told me growing up was that high school, the best years of your life. So mm -hmm. I kept thinking, all right, well, if that's true, why bother to live beyond that? <laughs> so all through elementary and junior high, I thought, well, I'll, you know, I'll graduate high school and then I'll kill myself. But I didn't like the experience even before high school. So I was making attempts on my life at age 13, 16, 17, 18, et cetera, et cetera. And it was to avoid feeling bad. 
I did not think I could be helped. I did not, um, when I tried medication, it made me feel like a zombie. I thought if this is, if this is real people, this is what other people are feeling like, you know, I want nothing to do with it. So yeah. the, the attempts at help did not help. <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but did you feel like you were defective because you had these feelings? Oh, totally. Yes. Yeah. That's a great word. Well, it's a horrible so it was, word, but it's accurate. <laughs> right. Yeah. So you were just thinking, I shouldn't be this way. I, there's something wrong with me. Right. I, and be, because most men don't share this, I thought I must, I'm the only one. God, that must have been scary. Yeah, it was. But again, that's what prompts, you know, one of the realizations I had when, when I, when I had this glimmer of hope was that, well, maybe I've survived this so that I can talk about it. And I think anyone that goes to wants to be of help, to be of service of others. So if I help one person, you know, it'll yeah. all be worth it. And I said that way back then. And <laughs> I still remember the first stranger that found me in person and said, you know, I watched a video. I don't like, I don't even know what I was doing, but I found your video saying, you know, don't kill yourself. And I'm like, oh my God, it struck a chord. And yeah. you know, so I've written books and I've spoken and, you know, I've lost, <laughs> it's, it's, I don't mean to sound conceited, but I've lost track of how many people said, oh, you saved my life. And I was like, no. You saved your life. I, I just waved some flags and made you get the attention yeah. and pointed out that your life is worth saving, right? Because yeah. I didn't believe my life was worth saving. That's mm. how that's how low of an opinion I had of myself. Okay, I want to circle you back to something that you you'd mentioned earlier. I'm a skeptic. I grew up very religious. I grew up blindly accepting every magical concept that was sort of dangled in front of me because that was just normal. Everybody in my community believed all this same stuff. As an adult, I kind of came out of this faith background and moved more into the position I'm in now, which is where it's like, it's not like I want to poo poo every concept that I come across, but some things especially things that I don't have personal experience with, I tend to think are just BS. Being an empath is one of those things. And this is one of those areas where like Alexis and I part ways. She believes she's an empath. And I say, you're full of shit. <laughs> you've just become a keen observer of human behavior and you've blown it up into something that you've convinced yourself is different. Now, you being a very well-spoken and apparently like emotionally in-tune guy, obviously a keen observer of human behavior, I'm just wondering, it's like, what do you say to somebody like me who says, I don't believe that you're empathic? Um, I don't care. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, and that, but I, I mean, I used to care. That's part of the problem of being depressed and miserable. I cared what people thought. No, I, I trust my experience. Everything I do, really everything I do on a daily basis to feel good is something I made fun of, thought was nonsense, ridiculed for years before I tried it. So yeah. much like you, I trust my experience. Okay. But if you're judging and deciding things that work and you haven't had an experience, well, you know, what are you basing it on? Right. I think that's like probably the best response to a question I've ever had in my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know where to go from, from there, Andy. <laughs> I guess that settles that. <laughs> no, and so I, I grew up opposite. I grew up without any sort of religious upbringing. And okay. I thought, oh. like, as an eight-year-old kid, I thought that made me an atheist. Mm. So when I want to die, I, I want everything to stop. It wasn't for me to the afterlife. It was just stop. I don't like this. End it. Yeah. The end. Yeah. Um as an adult, and, and you know, I've become way more spiritual. I'm still, I, w I don't call myself religious, but I'm way more spiritual. And realizing and accepting and experiencing that I'm much more than just this meat soup. I'm not just this random collection of chemicals. I'm not this cosmic mishap. I'm not, 
are not temporary circumstances. I think I'm starting to like this guy, Andy Grant. The guy who not only says that it's okay for guys to share their feelings, but someone who thinks that feelings can actually teach us things, even the bad ones. Stay tuned for next week's episode of What I Like About You.